you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Great to uh, see you all here. This is our first week where we really dive into the meat of this wonderful book of Proverbs. Um, But before I I do that, which I'm going to do in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. But um, we have heard that two members of our family who have been away uh, for, seems like an eternity, are back. And that is so, so, so good. And you're going to hear about some of the plans uh, that we believe God has uh, for Ben and, and Nema, and, and they're discovering in the weeks ahead. They're really exciting. But part of our family is back. There's another member of our family, though, who has gone to serve in Nuka. And uh, many of you will know Zoe, part of our church for uh, a whole bunch of years, just a really godly, wonderful woman of faith. And um, I'm going to pray for her as we begin um, the sermon, pray for us as we listen to God's word, but also for Zoe. Um, Zoe is, is taking uh, an extended break from her time at Nuka. Um, I cannot begin to imagine how difficult it is uh, working in that um, isolated community far north of Australia. Um, really a very, very difficult place to do ministry. And Zoe has needed an unscheduled break uh, to recover and to rest and be refreshed. So we as her family would, I'd love us for pray, to pray for her as we begin. And then uh, we'll look at these words which speak more about family. So let's pray. Father, firstly, we come and we pray for our sister Zoe. Uh, Lord, we thank you for her faith and her courage. We thank you for her strength, uh, her willingness to give up many of the most of the comforts that we all enjoy down here in Geelong to go up into a different community in an isolated place with many difficult challenges. We thank you, Lord, that um, you promise to refresh those who refresh others. So we pray, Lord, that you would refresh her at this time, that as she, she takes some time out of that community, would you please, uh, Lord, give her good, deep relationships with those of her family and friends back here. We pray, Lord, that um, she, you would pour into her richly and that, uh, Lord, in these next weeks ahead, that she would be wonderfully um, reinvigorated and ready, revived, ready to go back into that difficult context. But, Lord, we pray that you would come alongside her as her heavenly Father, loving Father, that, Holy Spirit, you, you would surround her, and, Lord Jesus, that you would be very close to her at this time. So we pray, Lord, for these things as we lift her before you. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, as we look at this topic now of family. We ask, Lord, that um, you would help me to explain this clearly and faithfully. And Lord, you'd give us ears to listen and to, to actually implement these things, whether we are children or whether we are parents or whether we're grandparents. And Father, we ask for all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, family, uh, we've all got one. <laughs> in some kind, no exceptions. Uh, Either we are parents ourselves or we are children. All of us have some kind of family and you know and I know that family can be absolutely wonderful. It can be sweet and blessed or it can be very difficult. (laughs) It can be painful. Sometimes it can be downright broken. That's the reality of family. And as we, we come today to look at this topic, Proverbs has a lot to say about it. Uh, Proverbs, in fact, too much for me to even begin to try and say we're going to cover it all this morning. We're not. But Proverbs has for us wisdom, if you remember, in skillful living. 
How do we skillfully live in this beautiful, complicated, broken thing, which is family? And uh, this morning, I'm going to, of all the things we could look at, I'm going to look at two. Two big headings, and that's it. Not going to cover all that Proverbs has got to say, but these two headings are this. Wisdom for parents, number one, and wisdom for children, number two. Wisdom for parents, wisdom for children. Let's begin with wisdom for parents. (coughs) Excuse me. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, Proverbs insists here that if you train up a child in the right way when they're young, with the wisdom of the Lord teaching them to fear the Lord and grow in that beginning of wisdom to live skillfully in the world. If you do it when they're little, when they're old, they will continue in the way. So the implication here is if you are a parent and you have a child who does not walk in the wisdom and way of God and the fear of the Lord, if they've gone off the rails, as we say, if they've rebelled and turned away from God, then there's only two people to blame. Who are they? Mum and dad. Maybe I should reverse that. Dad and mum. And so, parents, if you trade up your child properly, then he wouldn't be departing from it now. Your fault. Now, I do this and I present it in that way because we need to grasp that Proverbs is not as simple as we sometimes will make it out to be. Uh, Proverbs is the most incredible book. It's got pithy sayings, remember, of of how the grain of God's world runs. Short sayings that are catchy, designed to get to a heart, saying this is how God's world normally works. And so there are other areas it talks about. Wise people thrive, fools suffer. (coughs) Excuse me. Good people are rewarded, evil people are punished. Generous people prosper, Stingy people suffer want. Children that are trained in the Lord when they're young will continue in that way when they are old. And that is how things normally work out in God's world. That's how God has created his world to run. It's how it normally happens. But we are not meant to take a proverb like that as an ironclad promise. This is wisdom literature. Our wisdom literature is a distinct part of the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Oh, thank you, Alice. I think it's important. It's a distinct part of the Bible. It talks about how things normally go, but not how they always go. Um, So, for example, there are times when fools prosper and wise people suffer. There are times when evil people seem to be rewarded and good people seem to be punished. There are times when stingy people seem to grow prosperous and generous people seem to be in poverty. There are times when you can train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they depart from it. You see, Proverbs teaches that if you're a parent, then God gives you an incredible agency in the life of your children. It's an agency that begins when that child is in nappies and continues when that child is old themselves. Thank you, Alison. Thanks, heaps. There you go. Agency. Um, it's an agency that can be used for good or for evil. And this is absolutely true. If you're a parent, you are given incredible responsibility. 
an incredible privilege. But we can't take this proverb that I just looked at as an ironclad promise, both because this is not what the Bible does, and also because this is not what human experience teaches us. So I'll give you uh, an example. You would have your own to share of these. But um, I have two friends that I work with in full-time Christian ministry, two wise and godly men. Uh, one of those men grew up in a Christian home, and he's the, uh, he's the oldest of three sons. Uh, these three sons all grew up. Their parents were missionaries. They they're both there, they went back into full-time ministry in Australia. Um, I know these people very well. Their home was, I, I know all these children well. Their home was loving and godly. Um, it was a, would have been a great place to grow up. Two of those sons are in full-time ministry today, uh, doing amazing things in different parts of Australia. The third son completely and utterly rejected everything that his parents taught him and that his brothers have followed him. As far as I know, he would be a professing atheist who's lived a very different life, and as far as I know, he continues to live that life. The other friend that I have in full-time ministry is one of two brothers. He grew up in a home that was dysfunctional and sometimes violent, uh, where eventually the parents uh, separated. It was very messy. His, his home was a, a very difficult place to be. Yet he and his brother are both in full-time ministry. Both became Christians later on in their life. There was no Christian input in their home. Both of them became Christians, and one of those brothers in full-time ministry now is my boss, you see, um, the danger of looking at this kind of Proverbs is to, to, take the, uh, to take the idea that we've got more agency than we actually have. So we read this proverb and it says, if you train your child in the way they should go when they were young, they will follow it when they grow older. And then what we tend to do then is use that as a stick to beat up ourselves if we have children that are not following in the way that we trained them in when they were young, or even worse, to perhaps in our minds beat up others and go like, if you'd just been a, present, a parent like me, this wouldn't have happened. This is your fault that your kid's gone off the rails. But the point remains. The proverb describes how it normally is. The truth that if you will train up your child when they are young, you will have an agency in their life most of the time that will extend right through. And in the end, if you train wisely and well when they're young, you can have an expectation that they will grow to become wise. Proverbs says that you have a part to play in a child's destiny. This is an incredible privilege. Uh, If you are a parent here, or perhaps you are not a parent, you might be a grandparent, or you might be someone who you are walking with parents in in the family and community of the church, we together have an incredible ability to play in the lives of the young people in our church. The next generation's growing up. Parents especially, but don't write off grandparents and, and friends, supporters alongside in the church community. Training your child in the way of wisdom's Proverbs says is forget about your pay packet and forget about your next home loan or your travel experience or the school that you get your kids into or, all of, or your latest hobby on the golf course or on the tennis course, wherever you are, forget all that stuff. It's not bad. These are good gifts of God. But God says you have agency in the life of another person that no one else can replace. If you're a father and a mother especially, there is no one else who can fill 
that gap. You have been given by God, Proverbs says, an incredible responsibility. It's an incredibly important topic that we're looking at today, God's words to, to parents. So the question is then, how? How do you do this? How do you train up the child in the way they should go when they were young? How do you do this? Because it's not simple. It's complicated. Well, um, the world, much of the world today would say that your job as, as a parent is really like, you've got this beautiful, cute little package, it's all beautifully wrapped up, and as a parent, all, you, all your job is just to unwrap the goodness in that child's, uh, that cute little person, that angel's, because so, they're so beautiful and pure and innocent and sweet, and you've just got to encourage them in that innocence and sweetness and purity, and then that'll naturally happen. Proverbs goes, such a nice idea, idea but just so totally unrealistic. And uh, any of your parents here will know, it's just, just not what children are like. They're, yes, they're cute, wonderful, precious little, little balls of angelic goodness, but there's more to it than that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 says this, and it sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Did you hear that? Folly. And now, what's folly in Proverbs? Folly is the willful refusal to follow in the ways of wisdom. Uh, folly is the stupidity that, that we are wired into and that causes us to live in, a, in an unskillful way in the world which God made, to not fear the Lord, who's the beginning of wisdom, to grow up to be a fool and in the end to destroy ourselves. And Proverbs says that folly is bound up in the heart of the child like the roots of a tree were bound up in our drainage system in the church kitchen here, right? Wrapped around it blocking it. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. And if you love them, your job is not just to encourage these little uh, packages of goodness and sweetness. Your job as a parent is to disentangle the roots from the drain pipe of their heart. That's a bad illustration, isn't it? But to, to disentangle themselves from this folly, which is bound up in who they Ah, to shape them in the way of wisdom. And so Proverbs 22:15, same proverb, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, that's the problem, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Solution. So Proverbs insists time and time and time again in various ways coming from different Proverbs that any parent's role is a love for their children that outworks in discipline. A love for the children that outworks in discipline. Now, we can easily get obsessed with the how of discipline. How of discipline. You listen to that proverb and you go, to smack or, or not to smack, that's the question. It's a question that's got real cultural heat. But much more important in Proverbs than the question of, of the how of discipline, it's the why. Of discipline. We'll come back to the how, but the why of discipline is hugely important. And Proverbs, um, Proverbs models for us what a parent must do in the why of discipline. And the why of discipline is that discipline is actually discipleship. The two very similar words when you see them written on the paper. But Proverbs would say that discipline at its core, why discipline? Because you want to disciple your children in the way of wisdom. That is why you discipline. The why is because you want them to grow and be discipled into wise men and women for the rest of their lives. 
That's the, the why. And if you think about it, this is exactly what Proverbs is. The whole book, if you last, you hear last week, we were looking at chapters one to nine, and it says, these are the words of a father to sons, or to a son in particular. It's the words of a father and a mother. As we go throughout one to nine, we see that mum and dad have got their teenage son, and they're sitting around the kitchen table, maybe, and they're saying, look, son, you're going out into the big wide world. You're going to make choices that will determine your life and other people's lives. Listen to dad, listen to mum. We're instructing you, we're we're teaching you. We want to give you the information. We we want to show you how beautiful wisdom is, how this will bring you goodness and we want to show you how bad and destructive evil and foolishness is. You're going to have to choose, son. We're wanting to give you the the tools that you can choose well. We're wanting to teach you, instruct you, uh, get our our arm around you and say, this is the way you should go. That's what the whole Proverbs actually is. But it's more than words. And uh, words are kind of easy for most of us, at least, as parents. You know, just ask your teenager how good parents are with words. We can ramble on forever about things that we think are right. Um, Proverbs 20 verse 7 says this. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Hear that? The righteous who walks in his integrity, integrity, blessed are his children who walk after him. What's integrity? Well, it's not perfection. But an integrity is the opposite to hypocrisy in many ways, isn't it? An integrity says that I'm disciplining you out of love for you and... I'm not asking you to do what I say, but not what I do. I'm modeling for you as a parent what wisdom looks like in the world. Not perfectly, but with integrity. We've got to strive to practice what we we preach. It's not just our words in discipline. All right, but let's get back to the how for a moment, because I've got to get here, right? I've got some advice saying don't go here, but like we we need to at least go here to some extent, because it seems like Proverbs does. So what of physical discipline? I personally think it's impossible to read the book of Proverbs and reach a conclusion that physical dis- discipline is banned in the Bible. I just, I just, th- I just don't think you can do that legitimately. Um, for example, 13.24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. As far as I can see throughout history, throughout every culture, um, Throughout the course of history, physical discipline has been something that was viewed very positively by culture. It was something that was expected of parents. It was just completely and utterly normal. But today, at least, uh, probably not where Brendan and Emma have just been for the last 12 months, but at least in the West, uh, this is a contentious issue of physical discipline. And there can even be the question, is this actually lawful? Can you, is it lawful to physically discipline your child? Now, I am not a lawyer, right? I'm married to one. That's, that's enough. But I, she told me I had to say that. I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. Right, go, if you, go and pay a lawyer if you want formal legal advice. But I, I have got the access to Dr. Google, and I went and I looked up um, the federal government website on physical discipline. You can go and do the same. This is what it says, and I quote, It remains lawful for parents in all states and territories to use reasonable physical punishment to discipline their children. That's one side. The key word here, though, is what? Reasonable. Yeah, you got it. 
Reasonable is the key word, and that's where it gets grey. Because this is also the law in Victoria. Family violence is the use of unreasonable physical force, and it's illegal. Uh, Family violence includes, and again, I quote now, violent behaviour or mistreatment towards a child or young person by a parent or caregiver. That's family violence. But actually, listen, this this is the other side of it. Or a a young person, um, or sorry, or violent behaviour towards a parent by an adolescent child or dependent. That is also family violence. Um, Under Victorian law, family violence of both kinds is a reportable criminal offence. You see see the, the grey area here? Now, as a church, we believe two things. Uh, number one, we believe that, uh, and it is right that we have zero tolerance, we have a policy of zero tolerance for family violence. Zero tolerance, right? That's one side. On the other side, we believe um, that wisdom says it's not contradictory to also have the provision for parents to use reasonable physical discipline with their children. Two things. Wisdom says, I don't think that they're contradictory, but they need wisdom to steer that line. All right. But uh, while I, I do personally believe that, phys- that physical um, discipline in Proverbs is something that is, is legitimate and good, I cannot read Proverbs and arrive at a different um, conclusion to that. It's only one tool that parents have in their toolbox. And I don't believe that every parent must use physical discipline. Uh, I, think, I think this is a question of wisdom. There's, there's a, what, what matters, um, we talk about the rod of discipline. In, in some sense, throughout Proverbs, rod is, is a metaphor for, for, for discipline. It was the most common, I'm sure, discipline back when this was written. It's only one way of discipline. There are lots of other ways which can be also very effective. What matters is that we discipline. Proverbs goes like, you must discipline your children. And it uses very strong uh, images and language to say, if you don't and you choose to uh, ignore the grain of the world and you go, I'm not going to discipline this cute little person because I want to be their bestie or because it just, it, just, it just hurts me too much and they're so cute and innocent and they'll grow out of it themselves. And Proverbs says, if you take that line with your children, you will pay a price yourself and they will pay a price that is even bigger. You must discipline your children. Uh, Proverbs says that just talking to them and saying, hey, little sweetie, you know, please um, don't take the car key again and try to start the car. You know, it's, it's, like, it's not going to be enough. That they will hear you, but they won't understand. So, for example, um, Proverbs 29, verse 19. This is a proverb that's spoken to employer-employee relationships, master-servant. But I think it applies. It says, by mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Same with children. By mere words, discipline will not be achieved. They may hear, but they won't respond. And Proverbs goes and says with children... It's very important. So 1324, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Feel about that? You don't discipline your children, you hate them, Proverbs says. Hate them. Think of the strength of that language. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And, And here's the heart of discipline. Do you see it? It's love. 
love outworked in discipline for the child's good. If you love your child, you must discipline them. Proverbs gone, it says, 1918, discipline your son, for there is hope in that. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Could that be more graphic? You're a parent and you go like, I can't be bothered disciplining my kids. Then Proverbs says, well, you're a murderer. You're murdering your children. You're setting your heart on putting them to death. This is not a kind of thing where you go like, oh, other parents discipline their kids. I don't need to. You need to. Proverbs said that if you don't, you go against the grain, you will suffer. 23, um, 13 to 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, from the place of the dead. Strong, isn't it? Uh, you, you can come back, I think, um, and go like sociologically or, or latest research says this, da, 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 you shouldn't discipline your kids. You can't come as a Christian. You, 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 if you accept the wisdom of God revealed in his word as we do, you have to discipline. Now, so discipline is the, is the outworking of a child in love, seeking discipleship, seeking to grow them. So here's a couple of practical applications which I think are true but are not from Proverbs, all right? So you can put in brackets, you know, Andrew's points. Got a discipline. How? Here's a couple of suggestions. Number one, each child is different, all right? Uh, I've got five. Absolutely true, isn't it, Arabella? Every child is different. Therefore, every child needs nuanced discipline. They don't all respond in the same way to the same discipline. Number two, it needs to change as the child grows. Discipline needs to grow with the child. What is very effective for your three-year-old will probably not be effective for your 17-year-old. That's my experience. Anyway, um, discipline of all kinds shouldn't be done in anger. And uh, this is the point where we, this, is the, this is the drive-by guilting right now. Should not be done in anger. I'm the only parent that struggles clearly with this. But those of you who are looking stony-faced at me now, you know your hearts. You know that sometimes the parental-child relationship can be infuriatingly infuriating, right? It can, but it shouldn't be done in anger. A discipline that is loving, correct, it's, it's discipleship should not be done in anger. So ideally, you'll count to 10 before you decide whatever discipline you're going to do. Um, <laughs> There can be good shouting in discipline. Get your finger out of the blender. <laughs> That's good shouting. There can be lots of bad shouting in discipline. I think, I think we, we, it can, as parents, we can ref, whether or not we use physical discipline, we, we use our voices. Shouting is, I think, usually not good. And when you shout or you use your, and, you're, and you're infuriated, um, you can come back at me about this, but I think that it would be at least as damaging to the life of a child to use words in your discipline that are cutting as it would be to over-physical discipline on the other side, at least as damaging to the long-term health. We, we need to watch what we say when, we, when we're tempted to lose our tempers with our, with our little ones. Um, this, is a good, this is a good one from, I think it was Dave Chiswell saying, ask yourself, what are you praying for your child, for their heart? When you discipline them, you know, like you're coming to God as you discipline, saying, what am I praying right now? Uh, a little one, you know, maybe just to keep an eye, would you be comfortable with someone else from your gospel community sitting alongside you 
why are you disciplined? Or, you know, me? Or one of the, would, would, you be, would you just feel comfortable if other people were watching? Uh, remember, I mean, it, it, the, the, the facts are that for parents, how to discipline your children is one of those touch points in marriage that can result in parental conflict. Um, many parents, you will know that. I think some, some good advice would be, this is from the Bible in general, is that men and women are not identical. Uh, God creates us different. We are not the same. So therefore, we don't always think the same about discipline. That, that's just a reality of the wiring that we're made. And this is a stereotype, but it's a stereotype that is generally true. And it's generally true that mothers are, tend to be more gentle and loving. Fathers tend to find it easier to be more firm. Now, it's a stereotype. It's not always true. You can tell me, this. yes, I know there's some exceptions to the rule, but it is kind of a, gen- it's a generic thing. We are wired differently, and so you should listen to your spouse. If you're a father and you think, this kid just needs firm discipline right now, and mum says, oh, you know, like, I think you, you should listen to your spouse. You should listen to your spouse if you're the mum going, oh, no, 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 we didn't just want to, he just needs a cuddle. No, 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 he right now might need some firmness. Um, I, I think the Bible would say, that a child to grow needs, it needs firm, loving discipline from a dad and gentle-hearted um, tenderness from a mum. That when you get those two things operating in conjunction, you have what's a complementary thing. You have one complementing the other for the best result for the child. So be, be, be patient with your spouse and listen to what they say because they just might have a point. All right. That, they're my tips. End of closed brackets. Getting back now to what the Bible says about discipline. And, and I think there's one place that we need to go as we think about discipline, which is not in Proverbs. Uh, it's in the book of Hebrews, actually. But it speaks about directly about parental discipline, discipleship of their children. It talks about it. It flips it because it talks about what God does with us. But it speaks to the how and the why of discipline. So, so listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 to 11. I'll read this whole thing. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Listen to this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What a beautiful passage on, on God's loving discipline for us, his children. But what, we, what do we see in the writer to the Hebrews as it speaks about that? Discipline is not pleasant. Uh, when you discipline your child, it is not pleasant for the child or for the parent. I remember my parents used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I was like, yeah, right. Now, now I know it's true. It's true. It does. It, discipline is not pleasant, but especially for the one being disciplined. If it was pleasant, it wouldn't be discipline, right? It'd be encouragement. It'd be reward. It'd be commendation. Discipline is correction and, and training, and it, it's not pleasant. I don't know about you, what, what your parents did in discipline, but 
I didn't enjoy my parents' discipline of me. I can remember it vividly to this day. And at times, I resented it and I resented them for giving it to me. I was angry at them. It briefly interrupted the, the warmth of the relationship because I felt like this is, this is unrequired. You know, I, I, this is not fair or whatever it wrong. But I think differently now. I think very differently. Uh, my parents got it wrong sometimes in their discipline. And you as a parent, you might get it wrong sometimes too. Yeah, I know I do. But I'm so glad as I look back that my parents love me enough to discipline me. They love me enough to take the effort to train me, to disciple me, including using correction, discipline, consequences. They love me enough to try and save me from myself, to get that folly that was bound up in my heart and remove it. And I today look back and actually probably dad and mum, you're online. Thank you. Because I know I was a little brat, but thank you for taking the time to discipline me. I appreciate it. Rachel, if she's here, she never needed to get disciplined. But I know I did. <laughs> the point of, of Hebrews, which I want to leave us as we think about parents, is Hebrews is saying that God, in his incredible love for his beloved children, which is you and me, he disciplines us for our good. And as parents, let's take that away, the last thing, that your discipline, however it outworks in your family, it needs to be done with that same attitude that God has for you, love, outworking in a correction and a training that is going to put you on the path of life and give you life. All right, point one, wisdom for parents. Now, secondly, much shorter, point two, wisdom for children. And I'm going to go to um, the, one of the verses that was not read. I think it got sanitized out of our, our Bible reading today. But Proverbs 30, verse 17, uh, it's not hard to understand what the point is here. It says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. So um, you kind of go, okay, is this hard to understand uh, what Proverbs is saying here? I don't think so. In fact, I think it's a little bit like, um, you know, the, the road traffic authority ads that show the, the brutal consequences of a car crash. Have you seen those? You know, the whole point is like, you're going to see that ad and go, ah, I don't want to, whatever it is, speed, text, whatever, because the consequences are enormous. If you like it, if you like, this is Proverbs speaking about this. And Probably, I know a lot of you, I've asked this question before. I grew up on a sheep farm. A lot of you didn't. But for me, and for probably for the original context, you saw what it was like. You used to see the crow sitting on the back of the sheep that was weak, and you would see it literally pecking out the eyes of the sheep while it's alive. And if you, if you ever speak to farmers that don't have a great love for crows, you get an idea why. Because these things, it's, it's the way God's created the world. But you, but you see that crow... And you think, this is absolutely brutal. Or, or you, see, you see a vulture, an eagle on the back of a lamb, while it's still alive, eating the flesh of it. Proverbs says, you, you treat your parents in that way. You, you scorn to obey a mother. You mock your father. Then the eye that does that will have that done to it, picked out while it's still alive in painful brutality. It's, it's meant to be graphic, it's meant to make you sit up and say, wow, this is serious stuff. 
You know, how, how children, and we're all children, right? Some of us haven't got children of our own, but we're all children of parents. How we respond to our parents, the Bible says, is actually a very big deal in Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, if, if, you, if you, you read Proverbs, you went, I don't think God is really concerned about how I relate to my parents. You know, the, the ravens, it's all just in metaphor. Well, Deuteronomy 21 makes it pretty clear in the Old Testament. I'll read this out. It's shocking. 21.18 says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of, his, of this city, Our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you will purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. It's a big deal. And you say, oh, that's Old Testament. It's a big deal in the New Testament too. In, the, in Romans chapter 1, 18 to 32, the apostle Paul lists a whole list of, of sins that come from having, quote, a debased mind a mind that is caught up in idolatry. You know, one of those sins listed there are disobedience to parents. It's a sign of a mind that is debased and dark, a life that is apart from God. Um, children, Proverbs says that they are to obey their parents. It's very clear. And, and that obeying of parents has, has a time span. There comes a time when you are no longer required to obey your parents. But, Proverbs would insist that you will always have to honor them. Maybe not obey when, when you leave home, but you will always honor them. So Proverbs 20 verse 20 says, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. And there's another imagery, isn't it? Utter darkness. The same kind of language that Jesus uses to speak about hell. Cursing of a father or a mother is a big deal. Now, what does it mean by cursing? Well, Ray Ortland, um, the preacher, commentator, he writes this. He says, what is God saying? To despise our parents is to treat them as worthless. To curse our parents does not mean to swear at them, but like despise, to treat them as beneath us. And to honor our parents is to treat them as weighty and worthy just because they are our parents. This is countercultural. Uh, many cultures throughout history have given wisdom or given honor to the age. Our, our culture is a, a youngest, it's a, we, we give prominence to the young. But Proverbs says, how you treat your parents is an integral matter of your personal godliness, how you are living in the world in which you are made. Are you living with the grain? Then honour your parents. Now, all of us can look at our parents and see stuff they did wrong. Isn't that true? Especially when we reach the teenage years and are given the, the gift of all, spiritual gift of all wisdom and understanding. <laughs> but... Even as we grow older, we can see ways that our parents did not do what was right or made mistakes. But even the very worst of our parents did something that was good, surely. 
I think the Bible would say that even though it may not be safe for you to be with your parents, if, if, it, if it's that destructive, even if your parents are fools in the way that they live in the world and the way they raised you, then it's non-negotiable. You still need to honor them. You still need to treat them as weighty and honoring them, not just in, I mean, maybe you might call up after this and go like, hey dad, you know, like, I don't think I ever told you but I'm thankful for, what, for the, the effort you gave to me. I'm thankful for that time you sent me to that camp that was so helpful. Or you paid my school fees when you could have, I don't know, you could have gone overseas and done something else. Or whatever it was that, that you did, I'm thankful. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know how often. That might be a practical application as you're going to go, I'm going to honor you, mom. I'm going to ring you up and say, thank you for being so patient with me when I was really struggling as a teenager. Whatever it might be. But prophets would say it's a big deal. How you treat your parents is, is a sign of the condition of your heart. And it's true practically. So in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 4, 5, 3 to 4, it's talking about charity within the church, like love for one another financially. It says this, it says, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Did, did you see? He's saying looking after your, your, your parents and your grandparents is a sign of your practical holiness. Jesus had hard words to say for the Pharisees about this, who were teaching that, oh, you can give to God what you should have given to look after your parents, and that's okay. There's a, a practical godliness that goes into honoring and respecting our parents, not obeying them when we're in the home, and then for the rest of our lives, treating them as weighty, whether or not they were good or bad parents. God, God, I think at one level, God says, I don't care. You honor them. And by doing that, you're showing your love for me. Ephesians 6 verse 2 says this, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Uh, children, we're all children. We're of different ages. If you are in your parents' home, obey your parents for your sake. If you are now out on your own, you no longer need to obey them, but the grain of God's world says you need to honor them. All right, they're my two points, and I know this sermon will have stirred up some emotions and some pain for some of us. It's just too close. It's too close to the core. We can think perhaps of parents who we feel didn't treat us with a loving discipline. Maybe they went too far in physical discipline. Maybe they didn't go far enough. And some of us, we can go like, we are parents and we, we feel maybe we've gone too far or maybe we haven't gone far enough. Uh, there are others where the parental relationship is, is completely broken with their children and children with, with parents. And I think the Bible's realistic, Proverbs realistic, says don't lean away from your pain. Uh, don't turn away from God with it and think this is something that I need to handle myself. The whole Bible would say, you have a loving father. A father who loved you so much. John, 1 John 3, 1, oh, what manner of love the father has given to us that we might be called children of God. That's what we are. You're a child of God. You have a loving father whose disciplined for you is perfect, 
who loved you so much that he sent the Lord Jesus to come into the world, the life of his only son, so that he might adopt you. It's incredible. So what's the point? The point is whether or not you feel you've killed it as a parent and you're killing it as a child, or whether you feel like you've failed as a parent and you've failed as a child, whether you're just worried about when you might become a parent and how you can handle it. God says, come to me. Cast those cares on me. If you need forgiveness, seek it. You've got it. If you need encouragement and support, come to me and and I'll help you in the difficult years of parenting that seem like they're going to last forever, but in many cases go like that. All cases, actually. One moment you're nappies, the next it's VCE. And so wherever you are at, um, as, as we close off this time together, it seems like an odd kind of segue in some ways, but it's not. We're going to share communion because we're thinking about family and we're thinking about what God does to make us his family. Sending the Lord Jesus so that you and I would have forgiveness and life, discipleship and instruction from a loving father that is designed for our good. So we'll we'll take that in a moment, but what I want to do is just give a little bit of space, maybe a minute or so in silence for you to, to bring before God, maybe as a parent you go, oh Lord, help me, or I'm sorry, or maybe as a child, yeah, Lord, please, I'm sorry, maybe I haven't treated my parents as weighty, or just ask this, and I'm going to ask the Spirit would do that in, in this moment of silence, and then together we'll, I'll lead us in a prayer of repentance, and then we'll share communion together. So just a moment, a minute or so of silence. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.